Hi, I'm Adrian Ramsey, and firstly, I'd like to say thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. Talk Design was created from my fascination of what creates great design. When you consider the world, you realize that everything is either designed by man or by nature. Designers have a massive impact on how humans live. Every moment I spend with design thinkers, I come away richer for the experience. And I wanted to share my passion to dig deeper, to talk about design with architects, inventors, artists, business people, about what inspires them, their design secrets, and how they find design inspiration. Having lived a life of design myself, training others in innovation and creating for others, I see huge value in sharing creative stories. I hope you enjoy the insights and passion my guests hold for life and design. And if you're in the world of creating design, that these stories inspire you. Thanks again. So my guest today is the fabulous Kevin Alter from Alter Studio in Austin, Texas. Now, when you talk about accomplished, um, Kevin is highly, highly accomplished. He's a professor also at the University of Texas in Austin, as well as um, editor 12 books. Um, so he's got too many awards to name. I remember going to his studio and there was this uh, huge wall with awards on it. And he very humbly, I, when I pulled on these awards and I'm looking at them and he says, yeah, yeah, we, we've done really well. We're proud of our work. And I'm like, you should be proud of your work. It's absolutely fascinating. I love going in your, the homes that you've done. I've been in quite a few now. And yeah. I would love to ask you some questions about architecture and more about your creative process. So Kevin, thank you for being here. I'm so it's looking forward to having a chat. It's a pleasure. Nice to see you again. Likewise. Last time I think we caught up was in October. Um, and actually I came to Texas again in February. Um, but I was only, I quickly dropped into Austin for two days and or ba basically a day and a night. And then I went to, uh, Ingrid invited me to the AIA um, passage in El Paso for the oh, Society nice. of Austin, uh, Society of Texas Architects. So I went right. up and did the passage in El Paso um, and then flew home just weeks before they closed the country. So good timing. Was, uh, I, I wasn't sure whether you'd be there or not, but I, I, you know, I, 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 I was, I was traveling with my students from the university and um, we were in Tel Aviv. So I might have oh, missed wow. you anyway. So. Wow. Tel Aviv's a fabulous place. I love it's that. A, you know, a, a modern city. Yeah, very. And fabulous city. Fabulous city. Okay, so my first question is, is Kevin, so you're a creative guy. We, we get that. And, and highly creative and highly analytical. Um, what was the point in your life when you went, architecture is for me? This is, this is going to be my gig. Um, because you could have gone, I'm going to be a filmmaker. I can be a, a, a whatever it is with creativity and analytics. You could have chosen it. Yeah. Well, I, I went to a really fabulous college, a place called Bennington College. Mm -hmm. And um, it's a little art school in Vermont. A lot of really interesting writers came out of there. The 
um, people like Brett Easton Ellis and Jill Eisenstadt were in, in school with me and, and uh, really interesting folks. Um, but the, there was one architecture teacher at a time there and I did mostly fine arts when I was there, a little bit of math too. And um, they all came from the AA in London, the Architecture Association. And they were really interesting folks. A man named Robin Evans um, uh, uh, was, uh, uh, was there that you might know, but there were people like Graham Shane and Patrick Beale who ran um, the University of uh, Western Australia for a number of years. Who's right. there. And they, were, they were kind of very important teachers for me and they got me really excited about architecture and people that at that point I thought all architecture professors at least, or architects were like them, kind of fountains of knowledge, unbelievably kind and generous and like lovely human beings. And I thought like, what's wrong with this? This seems great. So I think they really sparked my interest. Oh, that's awesome because clearly that's um, who you became as well. Well, I don't know, but they, but they were important mentors for me. And, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. and um, you know, the thought that one could try and change the world in, in ways that were, you know, physical and material and would have a big consequence on people was, was like amazing to be ambitious in that way. And, and they seem to embody those kind of ideals. So. That's awesome. Yeah. Maybe yeah, Patrick will hear your podcast. He's, he was a great dean there. I think, I think he's now retired from, from Western Australia, but he's still practicing. Oh, practice. okay. Oh, you have to hook me up. Yeah. It'd, it'd be I a good too. one to have on the podcast. Just somebody like that would be fascinating. I, I want to actually, in the future, one of the things I'm going to do is, is um, hook, say somebody like yourself and him and have you come in as a, a guest five-minute speaker as well. So well, you know, that would be great. And, you know, Patrick, uh, I mean, Patrick was really lovely and, and influential in my life. Um, and he moved to, uh, he's from London and moved to um, Perth uh, with his wife who's from there. Um, but um, it was certainly one of the kind of special experiences in my life to be able to come um, many years ago now. I gave a series of lectures and to speak at, at, at Perth when he was um, still the dean there was really a, a kind of special pleasure, you know. Yeah. Um, so. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, my other, another one of my questions is, is about process. So when, um, when you first, you know, like you, 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 you talk to a client, and then you first go to, let's say it's a new build, because that's mainly what you do, um, is design new, new premises or new homes, residential, I'm going to talk about here. Um, when you first go to the site, what happens in your head? Like, where does your creative brain go? And where does your analytical brain go? And you've usually got a client hanging on your shoulder. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, one of the things that's a real pleasure about our field is that it's fundamentally collaborative, you know, and I, I sometimes feel like I have a, um, a, like I'm gregarious by birthright because I, I came into the world with someone else. I have a twin brother. And, and I, it's, when I was in college at, at Bennington, I also did some fine art and, and I think I really enjoyed architecture more because it wasn't just me. Like I was, you work with other people, you work with clients and consultants and other colleagues, other architects and, and, and a landscape and a program and, and these are things that I find really exciting. I mean, I, I also kind of at some points in my education grew up with that idea that, that the architect was is somehow um, like the sole author, you know, that some off of his or her pen comes a sketch and then the building comes up. But like as I've practiced, I've actually come to more than just realize they really embrace this idea that it is 
it is very much a communal activity. And part of the pleasure of it is that it's not just the manifestation of my desire. It's actually the, you know, it's, it's problem solving. It's working with the inherent qualities of a place. It's working with, you know, trying to pull the most out of a contractor or, or a client. My, one of my budget. friends, yeah, one of my friends from um, London, a man named uh, Paul Shepard wrote a very beautiful book um, called What is Architecture many years ago. He's written a number of books, also an AA guy. And he, um, he had the most beautiful analogy for architects. And he said, in some ways, talking about buildings, he said the architect is like the, con the conductor, trying to exhort like the very best performances out of all of the tradesmen, all of the, the you know, consultants, all of the architects, just trying to kind of, it's like a one-off performance and you get that part of what you do is, is create a situation where they perform at their absolute best, as opposed to that version of like, it's my drawing and you will just execute it. And I think the work is better because it is multifaceted and comes from so many different perspectives. I think part of my own like academic agenda has been like rescuing architecture, modern architecture from this sort of single-minded idea. Mm -hmm. Like the best architecture mm -hmm. comes from many things. So when we go to a site to answer your question more directly, like, you know, I'm always looking for, for interesting conditions. And it is like, I love the Farnsworth house. I love Philip Johnson's glass house, but it's one thing to do a glass house in the middle of many acres in New Canaan, Connecticut, or, you know, outside of Chicago. It's quite another to do a glass house in a suburban condition where you have a half an acre or a third of an acre. I think you went to our Springs house that was like that, you know, and, and I think you get a more interesting result with trying yeah. to work with the, the contradictory desires, openness and privacy, or, or trying to, to work with like the conditions of a site where you want to open to the landscape, but maybe it's not the most beautiful landscape ever and you have to adjust it in some ways. And, and so, it's, yeah, that, that part fascinates me as well. Like the landscape, the landscape tells you a story and then you've got the contradiction of often of um, could be weather as well um, and heat and and all those things and then and then the the trick is is to create something in collaboration with who's gonna whose home it's gonna be so it, it, it's their home they're gonna live in it you're you're gonna yeah. get a way of roaring but that's their home they. And they, they ask for the craziest things sometimes as well. And, and that's the contradiction of trying to pull those things into a, into a workable solution. Yeah, I mean, I, we try and do things, you know, I never want to draw anything that I don't feel good about, but, um, but there are always many ways to solve a problem. And I think many of the most yeah. interesting parts of our pro projects come about through clients getting involved and, you know, and having particular desires. One of the great pleasures of drawing with a computer now is we can, we can draw um, you know, different versions in a 3D model and, and, a, yeah. and the client can say, well, I really like this about that one and I really like this about that one. And we can kind of start to combine things a little bit, hopefully not like a Frankenstein, you know, hopefully in a way that makes it better, but it does elevate it to a level that I wouldn't have necessarily gotten to if it was just my own desires. So yes. sometimes I like to tell clients like to be a really good architect, you have to be of two minds, not necessarily schizophrenic, although you could describe some architects <laughs> that, that way. But you know you have to be immodest enough to have the hubris to say to your client, like, I know you're asking for something, but that would not be good for you. Yes. And then on the other hand, you have to have the modesty to know it is your client's house. And 
they know themselves pretty well and that, you know, they, it's not just my ideas. And so I feel like, you know, many of the more talented architects err on the side of hubris and then mm. the clients don't really get what they asked for or the more modest ones, like give the clients just what they asked for, but nothing more. And that seems another kind of shame. So we, you know, I, I believe in that kind of collaborative thing. For me, it's a little easier in some ways because I have partners and I have collaborate, collaborators. So it's not just my sketch. Yes. It's like, yes. and nothing goes out the door without my, at least my partner Ernesto and my partner Tim, like all like feeling good about it. So we have a lot of arguments in-house, but, <laughs> but, you know, by the time we're showing things to people, like we're all feeling good. And I think it gets to a point that I wouldn't have gotten to if I just was drawing it in, on my own. I, I totally get that. I um I totally get that the tension that you create um internally in your process um always benefits the client. There's there's no there's no doubt that it always benefits the client. And then that joy of journeying with them. Um and sometimes, you know, it can be a rough road over certain parts of it, but the joy of journeying with them is yeah it's the magic it's as fun as the drawing it's, yeah, it's um, one of the pleasures i think of doing residential architecture i mean we do mostly residential work but we we do some other things some small institutions and some you know forty thousand square foot buildings like yeah. condos and things some office things but the, the real pleasure of, of homes is people really care about them and you get to know them really well and one gets to know their eccentricities and, and um, you know, and embrace them without kind of critique. Uh, but then also like they become, they become kind of friends, you know them very well. And, yep. and I yeah. feel like, I mean, people, by the time people come to me, they're usually pretty accomplished and, mm. you know, financially many of my clients are, are, are accomplished, but also like professionally and they have real knowledge and, it would be, well, be hubris on my part not to count that as important. So, yes. you know, yes. we, and I think the projects become more interesting. And my life is certainly richer because I have friends now that I count that, you know, I was talking to someone earlier who's a federal magistrate and another person who's a kind of rock musician in a, in a kind of well-known band. And, yeah. and, you know, and then other people that are graphic designers. And, and it's like, they, I take a lot of pride in, in the feeling that, that when they, um, when we build a house for them, they feel like it's really theirs. We had an yes. experience not so long ago where I was participating in a kind of interview with a client and uh, the, the house had won some awards and the client was talking about all of these things that he, um, he thought of. And my first reaction was like, wait a minute. And then I, I really started thinking, oh, I really love that. I love that he, I mean, he was absolutely part of all those decisions and it's great that he feels ownership for them all and he should. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I and think that's, it's beautiful when that happens. Yeah, it's not just an economic thing. I mean, my, the experiences for me that are sometimes disappointing are when architecture is just understood economically, you know, by a developer or something. There are great developers too, but, but sometimes, you know, that, that's just less interesting to me. It robs the soul of it. It robs the connection. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's an awesome so answer. I'd love that because it's, um, yeah it's a real point of connection that I find. And I, I, I obviously get the same that how you do that. Um, I've got another question, which is, I don't know whether we should make it about COVID or not. You said just before we will, well, let's make it about COVID because it is very topical and there's it's a lot timely. of, yeah, 
there's a lot of topical stuff out there right now, and this is probably the least of them to uh, get to unwind. Yeah. Um, but with COVID, um, one of the things that um, we were talking just before we started recording, which was about the fact that there's more of a remodeling renovation market. And my thing there is if you would give people some guidance. So there might be other architects listening to this, interior designers, homeowners, DIYers, whatever. If there was a piece of guidance that um, was easy to, to share around what they can do in their home to make their home better um, and where they should start looking first, having you've just been locked in your home for a while as well, where they should start looking first. And I, I, I kind of joke with this a little with people. I go, you know, you've got this big fancy house, but it wasn't actually designed to do what you're about, what you've just done to it, to have four kids or three kids at home, you at home, your wife at home, both trying to run offices. Um, and, you know, there's a dash out to the supermarket and back, but this home base, it, it's, it's being re-engineered as such. So if there's something that you could share there, and I think that right. it's timely because it is COVID and people have experienced something we've never experienced before. No, yeah. no, almost no one is, you know, what you would have to have been around like in the States, maybe 1918 with the Spanish flu. Spanish I guess. flu. Um, yeah. So maybe if you were 102, you might, but you wouldn't have been conscious. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's certainly turned things on its end. And I think, I mean, not to suggest it's a silver lining because it's not, but one of the things that has come out of this is people becoming much more aware of their, their home environments and how mm. important they are to them. Mm. And, um, uh, I, I do think a post-COVID world um, will like not be the same. We will consider our environments differently, and that mean both for space and how we work, but how we live in many ways. I mean, I feel like you know the home is often neglected because it's just seen as shelter, you know, as opposed to a place that nurtures the soul, as you would say, that is that that provides all of those other aspects that makes life rich or makes life easier to live. I mean, it is, I mean, changing things in a house is a big thing. You know, it's like, I'm just trying to do some of my own things in my own house at the moment. And it's like, every time I, you know, I'm trying to tile something and it's like, I have more respect for the craftsmen that are involved with that. And, <laughs> and in fact, it always reminds me that I, I want to do work worthy of the craftsmanship put into it. Um, and it, certainly my drawings are better than my own craftsmanship. I, and you know, I live in an old house that I've renovated, and and I think in some ways, like that's a, like I like I like working with things that aren't again just out of my, of my mind, so that I've had to react to you know inevitable conditions. You can't adjust this wall because it's load bearing or something yes. like that. Um, but I, I do think that that one of the things that's so interesting, just to try and answer your question, is what small changes, what a difference a small change can make. You know that you know um even like painting something in a kind of brighter color can all of it like a white can all of a sudden make a room feel more like bright and livable certainly people are more aware of, of other things that are not just visual i think one of the problems with our field is it's been dominated by the visual almost exclusively yeah because the other senses are less um oh they're they're less overwhelming but audible conditions, mm -hmm. you know, I have three children and a wife who works as well. And so like, we're all overlapping with each other, um, but you know, the, you know, sense of smell, sense of uh, various ways in which atmosphere is made. 
happen not just by the shape and size of something, but or the color of it, but by other things, whether you can close a door or not, you know, and yeah, and, whether you can separate zones or whether you can yeah. um, create, you know, like I, clients of mine, uh, three girls and um, all at school and they've got a reasonably sized house, but it, it got totally pushed because of the proximity and very open plan through the middle. Um, so anything happening in the kitchen was also where the, where the kids had a big long workbench to do their, you know, day to day stuff. They were suddenly all in there, you know, and her husband, he was still working out of the, of the house as well as in the house. So his office was just there. So he'd have all this noise. Um, and, and, yeah, just that, um, I suppose, intensity, you know, where in his own, if he was at his office, he would be able to walk around, he'd be able to do these things and he would have space and also um, context of space. Um, you know, we, we suddenly go to home and do our job and there's further distractions and stuff. And you set yourself up in your, if you've got a studio like yours or an office or something, you set yourself up for a certain kind of mood and success in that and you transition into it. When you are in the home, you work, 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 and work, work, everybody's trying to do their work. And then how do you transition back to family time? How do you transition those things I think of massive. And as you say, like adding color, um, changing furniture and, and audit the audit book, auditory part of it that the sound the volumes is something that we really experienced in it i think that coming out of this i mean it's hard to make predictions but certainly you know some sense of flexibility you know that that as an architect that you might uh, because things are changing you know they used to say you know six feet and now someone that just read earlier today is saying maybe it's actually 10 is actually better and you know right. or or like they're starting to say that you know it's harder to trend transmit the disease off of surfaces than they used to think. And I mean, these things will change, criteria will change. And mm. so certainly one of the things I think that may come out of this is, is more of a desire for flexibility, which certainly plays into my own interests. And, and also for, for like, I mean, I think we've already moved away from that, but it's more of an encouragement to move away from this sort of loft style of living where it is one big room into rooms that are defined, but also connected as opposed to, a one large amorphous space for reasons like you're saying, like you need some audible separation. I do, I mean, I hope that coming out of this, we will, some, some, there'll be a little bit of a reset and some values. I mean, Australians do a better job at this than, than Americans generally, but you know, the, the kind of constant pressure to kind of work all the time, hopefully will change a little bit. And, you know, one will, I think uh, pay more attention to valuing personal relationships. Yes, I think that um, something that really, because of the lockdown and the economic crisis that's going to follow it and all the rest, one of the things that really struck me was there is a large, large, large part of the community that is the next paycheck is do or die. Um, and then so the stress levels in that are, are huge. And then the other part is, is the uncertainty put the stress levels up so high of, of, of when will it finish? What's the target? How will it work? What will happen? 
and zero control over that. And even all the like communication around it still didn't get, doesn't supply any certainty. And certainly as we're coming out of, you guys are deeper in than we are, we're on our way out. Um, you. And you know, like New Zealand has, they're COVID free for over a week now or something like that. Um, and there's about eight other countries in the world that have got through it. When, when you look at that, people, um, they seem to have a, a, a better, a, a bigger zest for their, a, their freedom again. Um, but also for recognizing that it didn't really matter quite who you were. You were all under some sort of similar circumstance and, you know, like musicians doing concerts from their home studios. Now we're all in it together. My house doesn't have a studio, anything, oh, it doesn't have a studio, but like anything like a rock musicians does, you know, in saying that we were all sort of in, in the same sort of position. We're still all under the same kind of rules and it didn't money didn't actually change it or fame didn't change it. What it did is it gave people an opportunity of another way of giving. Um, when when they were privileged lovely. enough to be able to yeah it's been really lovely and then the, the combination of that and the how does one say this the, the rediscovery of the you know pleasures of the out of doors that yeah. you know certainly many people have always enjoyed but but you know it's one of it's the safe space right so it yeah it, so it has been something that people have rediscovered i mean i'm you know this this should not be misinterpreted as as kind of anti-sustainable because I feel like like urbanism has been very much the kind of answer to sustainable concerns for for a long time, you know, and mm -hmm. and uh, you know public transportation um, density things like that. Um, you know, the the loss of that oftentimes is the the regular embrace of nature. And while I'm not advocating a kind of car culture, you know, because yeah. there's lots yeah. of problems with that carbon footprint not a small one yeah you know, the, the pleasures of that are are you know being able to have a to live in a situation that is intimately connected to the out of doors is really like special i think and i think certainly achievable in an urban situation as well but it doesn't be tend to be the thing people focus on in cities and i you know, I, I think so as well and one of the things that i think that really um and in fact you're in austin is Austin is an incredibly green city with um, lots of urban planning parks, parks and river walks or, or you know lake walks and things like that. It's um, it's one of my loves about the place. It is, it's not just a downtown hub or anything like that. It's got that, but it's got so many pieces to it and so many elements and so many people live with the trees around them. Um, it's a it's a beautiful city for that reason like it's why it's so desirable to live there we go to somewhere like dallas and it still has parks and stuff but it doesn't actually have that intimacy that austin still has um and and houston the same like they've got amazing facilities and all the rest but they are like mega cities compared to somewhere like austin which is it's still very um you you, you know you can hug a tree on every corner almost you know it's it, it's got that you can be with nature very quickly and, and in fairness it's a smaller city than this yeah. but it's true it's one that has embraced its sort of you know outside life and and the buildings do as well you know it's lovely mm. to i mean one of the things that's been nice about people walking on the streets taking them back over from cars has then been to see the way like front porches engage with with the streets and actually and, i i went 
um, last year, the year before last, I was in Austin and um, I was hanging out with a friend of mine who's an architect there as well. And he was, t he took me to a project he'd done. And he was saying about in this particular street that the front porch is super important. And I'm like, huh, why? Like, and he said, because pretty much in the street, everybody walks and catches up with their neighbors on their front porches. And it's like, if you come to this neighborhood and you don't want to do that, you will literally be the outsider because the people try to move to this neighborhood because they do that. Yeah. And, and, and it's, it's a beautiful thing. It's, I have a current client, a um, really lovely family who, who decamped from New York for obvious reasons. And they've been renting houses here. And, and um, the wife called me shortly after moving here. And we, we've been talking about building a house for them and things like that and finding a lot. But she was just marveling over her, the difference in her life. Um, she was sitting on her front porch, possibly in that neighborhood, and you know, having a drink, kind of toasting the neighbors on the other front porch. Someone else was playing their guitar on the on the one on the other side. And, you know, life can be social, even if it's not quite as dense as Manhattan. And Manhattan can be more um, engaged with the out of doors. I mean, like we were talking about earlier, like the engagement of the rooftops and things yes. like that are historically, the before air conditioning, were like an amazing social space. And I feel like, you know, relying a little less on cafes being the social place and maybe more of the, the kind of public sphere would, would be a kind of interesting lesson to learn from all of this. I, yeah, I, I really agree with that as well. I think it's fabulous. Um, and maybe that is, maybe that is like the part of the upside of um, what COVID will bring us is the sense of community and a sense of um, well-being as well, like in the sense of we, we belong together, but we, we've got to have our own space and, and, and the other parts to it. But maybe it will highlight that and how privileged we are to be able to walk outside and, and have a yard. And, um, and, and if not, how we can bring that nature into where our environment is, even if it's an apartment, how can we, how can we get in touch better? It's a, nice, um, it's a nice way to talk about the, you know, it's a nice spin to put on the current situation. Uh, and it makes sense for architects to talk like that because you can't be an architect without being optimistic. You know, it's a certain <laughs> level, it's an optimistic engagement. And, it's got to um, be about the most optimistic um, profession. <laughs> it is. And it's really like, you know, we meet people of all walks of life that are usually pretty interesting and accomplished. And then we're doing something jointly that's really optimistic. It's really nice. And, yeah. and you know, it's interesting. This is a bit of a, a kind of odd segue but I've, um, I've recently been revisiting the early 80s because uh, I used to play music in a, in a kind of band and we, after almost 40 years, have just released a, another vinyl and um, for the first time since then. And someone wrote a review of it just comparing the, the times. Because like, in the early 80s, there was interesting things happening in music in the States. You know, and all of you know, the clash, it was kind of yeah. radical stuff. And um, he, he wrote in this review, how do you put it? He said, let's see, 1982, there was a conservative in the presidency. The economy was uh, in, in shambles. The uh, unemployment was in double digits. They were tear gassing protesters who were protesting um, white supremacy in Washington, DC. Oil was $30 a gallon. It really interesting music was happening then. Seems similar today. And <laughs> they were just pointing out that we're, you know, coming out with a record then, coming out with a record now. 
And I kind of feel like it has been a, you know, it's been, what, what's the expression? People have been fat and happy recently. And yes. maybe this will jar us into, you know, perhaps a less, I mean, to deal with more serious issues, like all of the, the kind of, you know, racial justice issues that yeah, are coming absolutely. up at the moment. And yep. that our, as architects, our participation in, in yep. that is important. And then, yep. um, you know, uh, the shaking things a bit so that we, you know, write the world towards a better place might that be That we a, take personal action. Yeah, it seems like it could be the, the upside of, of all of this. I mean, mm -hmm. I don't mean to put a, you know, you know, again, not a silver lining on terrible things yeah. happening, uh, like the pandemic, but, you know, sometimes things get upset and then they write in a way that's a little better. Um, unfortunately, most change takes effort and it takes contradiction and it, it, it's not always gentle. And as much as I think what's going on, you know, globally in the space of the racism and stuff, this is a conversation that, that was needed over a hundred years ago, more than 200 years ago. This is a, a conversation and it's been bitten at multiple times, but it has never been solved. And I don't think there's one solving it. I think there's a, it's a program of solving it. It's education that will solve it. And, um, it, but it's it's encouraging to see the the uh, kind of emphasis and the, I mean it's a funny combination of people being home and potentially having the time to then pay attention and then yeah. their eyes are opening and maybe we'll see some real change you know socially um, and and I mean I hope the profession addresses it as well because it's you know it, it's as guilty as any other segment of the society absolutely absolutely. And, that's that's optimistic you know to start to imagine a a little bit more of a, a kind of more equitable world so, mm. and, you know um so and architecture is about optimism so it is <laughs> it's it is. a it's a hand in glove yeah so hopefully we'll see let's yeah let's let's pray for that let's hope that that is what we get out of it um and i, I think there's the opportunity to get that it's been fascinating asking you these questions I'm going to wrap it up there um, and say thank you so much. It's always enlightening for my mind and inspiring to talk to you. Um, I love it. It's, I loved your answers there. And I'm going to put, we'll put on the uh, website, we'll put all your contact details. Oh, great. And I'll get you to email me um, the thing on your album that you've just uh, done so that we can share that as well. Cause that would be fantastic. It was a, it was a funny uh, review, just a single, just a seven inch, but. Okay, cool. I want to, I want to hear it as well, of course. So no, that Fair would enough. be really brilliant. Yeah. So a, a, a kind of, you know, hidden part of my, my past reemerging. Ah, that's awesome. Segue to take from a conversation about architecture and design, but yeah. you know, hard not to these days to think think about what's going on in the world. So absolutely, absolutely, and, and you know, creativity is creativity. It's like um, I'm no music. I'm not a musician, but I absolutely love music, um, and I there's still a process and a building block and everything else that happens to create something, and it's collaborative more often than not. Um, which again is similar to architecture in that sense. Everything has a, a process and a place to get to the other end. Well, I, I do think it's why sometimes 
they refer to architecture as one of the great arts like you know like symphonies it's because it's it's not it, it's a it's a combination of many things but it includes many people's efforts it includes um the kind of uh, the working together to get something quite extraordinary and um you know this is a this is one of the pleasures of what we do so. yes true true but that i'll let you go back to the studio it looks like uh all cooked dinner behind you um, <laughs> got a bit more to do before then and i apologize for being late for you i was no wrapped up in my own world but no, um, we will catch up again soon i hope so i hope we see you again you know you, back in austin or maybe you know on the other side of the world yeah one or the other but definitely we will we will for we'll, sure we'll connect you to patrick thank that'd be awesome i'd really love that really yeah, love that he's a wonderful man yeah. thanks again kevin take care, take care. have a great Lovely evening cheers okay bye 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 <laughs>